We're in Ephesians chapter 6, 17 and 18 today. We move on to the seventh and final piece of the armor. Last week we finished up the sword of the Spirit. We looked at the six hindrances to the... To, oh, I did forget we were going to spend a week on how to, how to make that effective, but I guess I left that one out of my memory, so we'll have to come back and do that. Just remember that because we did uh, six and seven, so that was supposed to be the seventh part. But anyway, the the Rhema word that we had, the sword of the spirit, the things that the enemy targets is first to make it uncertain. If you're uncertain in that God said it, or you're uncertain in what was said, you won't be as certain using it in battle. Untruthful, corrupted, unnecessary. I don't think it's necessary for me, so I won't honor it unavailing, like with uh, Zedekiah. Well, I, I can see that that's probably from God, and it probably has some beneficial, but some uh, benefit in battle, but I just don't see that it's going to bring me anything because either it's too late, I've uh, done too much, whatever it might be. Unoccupied, when we doubt the word that we once had been operating in, and last week we looked at unremembered, to not recall to mind by an act or effort of memory or to think of again. Now it seems that the last two were kind of similar and so I wanted to make sure we, we cleared up any similarities there. They are different between unoccupied and unremembered. The main difference is the unoccupied involves a feeling of giving up. You, uh, you doubt the word that you once walked in. You somehow abandon what it was you, you were doing. It involves a feeling of giving up. I can't maintain this or I can't continue doing what I'm doing. Unremembered, the unremembered word involves some level of rejection. There's an outright rejection of what uh, God's word had said, what God's word was spoken up to me. So that's the main difference between those last two. Unoccupied is that feeling of giving up, unremembered, involves some level of rejection of the word. And that's the main difference between those. So we will come back to that sword and look at how to make that more effective. And uh, maybe we can even tie that into when we're looking at this, uh, the whole armor in battle. But here in Ephesians 6, 17 and 18, let's read them. And take the helmet of salvation. We looked at that before should be really be received and receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, I'm not sure if it was Rick Renner who was the first one I heard do this or there was a couple other people that uh, may have been the ones that have looked at this. And though Paul does not specifically mention this as a seventh part of the armor, nor does he affix it to any part of the Roman uh, armament. Uh, others have come along and affixed this to a spear because the Roman spear, uh, each member might have a different spear because there was a lot of different uses. Some of them were for more long range, some of them were for more short range. There was different lengths. There was all kinds of different spears that they would use and the, they would use that because he starts us off saying, praying always with all prayer. Now, Brother Hagen he would uh, use this as a launching pad to talk about all prayer. Uh, uh, Brother Rick Renner does pretty much the same thing. And I don't uh, doubt that there's a lot of benefit that you can have. And I've gained a lot of benefit from both of those men and the teaching they have done on all prayer. But the context of this, I want to try and stay more within that, that this is a battle. This is the armor. So we want to take a look at all prayer and supplication in relationship to a battle. Because not all prayer is involved in a battle. Some prayer is involved just in building you up or doing things for yourself but not necessarily involved in a battle. But let's take a look at this part here. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. We're really going to just focus on those, those words. We'll get, spend more time on the, on the rest of this later. The word always, praying always, that word always comes from a phrase, en penti. Now, penti is from the Greek word pas, and we've talked about that before, meaning all. And this is a phrase, this phrase is used twice in the, in the Bible. But this word, 
Caro is uh, translated, <clears throat> I believe it's, it's uh, close to 80 times, 80 some times this word is used in the Bible. 64 of those times it's translated time. 13, it's translated season, which is just sort of a, a longer period of time. Opportunity, twice. Due time, twice. And always, twice. The two times it's used always, it is always used with this particular phrase, en panti caro. And we see that in Luke and here in Ephesians. The only places we see those, that phrase used. But this phrase, when it's used, it is translated always, and rightfully so. There's no reason not to translate this always, because basically what it's saying is all time, in all times. So that's why they just translate it as, as always. Luke 21, I went back to verse 34, 35 and 36, but 36 is where we see this. I'll just read it here for you. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare on all those who dwell in the face of the whole earth. Verse 36, where we see it. Watch therefore and pray always. So when we see this phrase used, it's once again teamed up with the word for pray. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Now he does use the term in the Spirit. And just as we received, <clears throat> received the sword from the Spirit and we received the helmet, but we received the sword and it said the sword of the Spirit. So the Spirit is the one who reveals. The Spirit is the one who speaks those things to us from God. We need to pray by His guidance as well here because it is to, as it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So there's going to be a particular guidance of this uh, that we can expect when we are using prayer in the realm, realm of spiritual battle. So how are we to pray always? Now, it's not always making requests. It's not always going around and just uh, mumbling to yourself or, or uh, speaking to yourself, praying in the Spirit. It's not always interceding. This is not what it's talking about. It's staying in, in communication. It's open to hearing revelations or warnings or perceptions. We stay alert. We stay watchful. Because these things can, the, the spiritual battle can change. But if it changes, we can rely on the state of prayer to keep us alerted and to keep us to where that, um, that we will be notified of it. So I wanted to spend some time taking a look. Let's see where prayer specifically has been used in the area of spiritual warfare. Now the tough part is, there's a lot of places you can find spiritual warfare. There's not a whole lot of places you can find what people prayed. So it took a little, uh, little uh, working on this part. Uh, I've got two we're going to look at here, and then I have, I think, I wrote down about five others that um, I'll kind of mull over for next week. I'm not sure if we'll go over all those. Some of them are pretty short. But these are the two that we have the most in-depth information on. And the first one is over here in Matthew 26, Matthew the 26th chapter. And this is before Jesus is going to the cross, and certainly the cross is one of the biggest spiritual battlegrounds there is. So what Jesus does in prayer would be something for us to learn from. And so we're really just looking at this story for what Jesus did in prayer. But in verse 36, And Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane, and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. 
Now, it's interesting that they knew that they prayed the same words the third time because they were asleep. But maybe they woke up in between and they heard something and they passed that on or maybe they asked Jesus about it, but somehow they found out that he prayed the third time. But the first time he's out there, he's praying on his, on his own. He prayed for an hour. The Word of God tells us he prayed for an hour on that one. Uh, we might be able to assume that the second time he prayed for an hour as well. I uh, don't know about the third time. But that's a couple of hours anyway of prayer that he had gone away in. And it describes him, and he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. He asked them to stay and pray with him. He was just going to go a little bit further. They could have heard the words probably from as far away as Jesus was. But they uh, didn't stay awake. So we don't have too many details of what was said. But if you prayed an hour, I'm sure you prayed a little bit more than just what these words were. But this is at least uh, along the lines of what he said. And this is what's recorded. So this is what's good for us to know. Now, I'll, I'll jump ahead here just a little bit just so we, we get this part of your outline taken care of. But it says here that he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Sorrowful and deeply distressed. If we were to go over to... Uh, I'm trying to think of who... I thought I had put this in the... Uh, yeah, Mark's Gospel. If we went over to Mark's Gospel, he doesn't say sorrowful. He said that Jesus began to be troubled. And greatly distressed. So he uses the word trouble. And it's a deep, different word. It is ek thambeo. Is the word that Mark uses. Here in Matthew. He uses the word lupeo. But they both use exactly the same word. When they quote Jesus. Because Jesus says to, to them. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. See, before he said he began to be sorrowful. There's a reason why there's a change in that. He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed, is how Matthew put it. He is talking about how he saw Jesus. He looked at him and he saw that his countenance changed and he became sorrowful and deeply distressed. This is Matthew's description of it. This is not Jesus's. This is Matthew's description. Then Jesus described himself. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. So when he uses this word, exceedingly sorrowful, he uses the Greek word, perilupos. Now Matthew uses the Greek word, lupeo, when he talks about sorrowful. It doesn't sound exactly the same, but they are the same word, except Jesus put the word peri in front of it, which means more all around. And that's why they put that wording in there. He became, or he, where Jesus said, I am exceedingly sorrowful. So that's where the exceeding comes from. It's from that preposition he put on. Now, they didn't describe him using the word peri, but Jesus did. So one person looked at him and saw that he became troubled. The other one looked at him and saw he became sorrowful. And Jesus described it that he was exceedingly sorrowful even to death. So this is what they're describing. This is the state that, they're, that he's in. He is visibly distressed, visibly sorrowful, visibly troubled. But also his own description is it's even greater on the inside than apparently he was showing on the outside. So he's letting them know. I am exceedingly so he may have been holding some of it back on the outside. You know, sometimes you feel sorrowful, but you're trying to hold some of it back from other people seeing, but they can see, if, oh, you just don't look quite yourself. But inside you feel extremely sorrowful. This is what he's, he's describing. I don't think you can use the term that he is depressed, though a depressed person would have some of these same feelings in there because it's not a perpetual state. It's something that is coming upon him, and he's going into prayer with this. So it would seem as he's going into prayer, he's, he want, he's wanting to deal with this feeling, this uh, sorrow that is coming upon him, that is uh, overtaking him. So we only know a few of the words that he spoke that would help him do this, but we need to take a look at it from that standpoint.
Now, this does not seem to be guarding from contrary thoughts, as that would be the role of the shield of faith. If you have external thoughts, if you have fiery darts that are coming against you before a spiritual battle, it would be the shield of faith that would do that, not prayer. There's a, that's a mistake that a lot of people do make if they feel that they're having uh, external thoughts coming to them and they're trying to battle these thoughts in the field of battle. battle. Prayer is not where you do that. It is the shield of faith for which you do that. You stand on faith. If the devil can get you back into the area of prayer to deal with these doubts, you will lose. Because God is not telling you that prayer is the place that you, you... Doubt has no place in your prayer. If you're having thoughts of doubt, get them out of your prayer life. Put your shield of faith up and extinguish every single one of those doubts with your shield of faith. You don't need to be going to prayer, Oh God, I'm having such a hard time. I'm just doubting your... That's not the place to deal with it. God is sitting up there and saying, I gave you faith to extinguish all those things. Now put it to work. And people are not putting it to work. Well, prayer is not the place to go. You go into prayer like that, you will not put out your, your doubts. You will inflame them. You're feeling like you're doing something to help it, but you're not. It's kind of like coming upon a fire uh, somewhere and using the wrong thing to extinguish it. You know, if you have a grease fire, water is not what you want to do. You spray water on a grease fire, you're going to spread that fire around. You're not going to put it out. You've got to find something else to, to do that. You have to make sure that you use the right uh, apparatus, the right type of extinguishing material in order to put that thing out. If you have doubts come in there, you use the wrong extinguishing material, you're not putting that thing out. Prayer is not there to extinguish your doubts. Prayer is there for other things, but it's not there to extinguish your doubt. Your shield of faith is. Make sure you use your shield of faith for that. That's what you're... Uh, we ever do, because how many darts can the shield of faith take care of? All of them. I don't need anything else. So he goes into prayer, and let's take a look at what he's, he prays again. Oh my Father, verse 39, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, nevertheless not as I will, but as you will. Now we know you're not going to deal with doubts in, in prayer. He's not dealing with doubts. He's saying, I know that there's another way. I'm thinking about another way. If it's possible to do it that way, let's go with it. If not, I'll submit myself to your will. And that's, uh, that's really all we're told about his hour-long prayer. But he spent an hour on it. <laughs> not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus was combating great sorrow and distress and some of this is coming because he knows what the will of God is and it's causing him great sorrow and distress to have to go through this, to go and, and, and encounter this. So he's renewing himself on the purpose of God. He's renewing himself on this is what has to be done. If God says this has to be done, I am submitted to his will. We will get this thing taken care of. If this is the only way that we can accomplish it, I am willing to go. If you are dealing with great sorrow and distress, it will weaken and distract you from your battle. You've got to deal with it before you go into the battle. Jesus is not in the battle yet. The battle is approaching. The battle is coming, but he's not in the battle yet. So he, he needs to get rid of these things so he is not weakened and distracted from the battle. And he utilizes prayer to contradict what the enemy intends. The enemy intends for him to be weakened. No, I'm not going to be weakened. I'm going to go in here in prayer, and I'm going to get renewed on the purpose. I'm going to renew myself to be submitted to the will of God, and then we're going to come out of here and do it. He goes out there, and he prays for an hour, and he goes back. That would tell me he still needs to be in prayer. He needs to get, get more of this done. He comes back after, well, it could be another hour, Finds him still sleeping. So he goes back again and he prays. In Luke, in his account, I, I think I just gave you the references there, but that's, uh, that's the whole Luke account. In verses 43 and 44, it says that an angel came and ministered to him. doesn't say a whole lot what the angel did, but it says an angel came and ministered to him. 
Now, it would seem that maybe they were asleep because I think if an angel showed up and was ministering to Jesus, they probably would have stayed awake for that. <laughs> maybe they woke up in time to see the angel leaving. Maybe Jesus told them what was going on there. I don't know. We'll have to wait till we get other places. But Luke is the one who records it. Luke is not the one who was there. So it's seen that somehow Luke became informed of this. Um, and it, I, I do not know how that, that particular part was. But Luke writes it down. We know that Luke was probably accompanying uh, some of that. I just don't know that Luke was necessarily in the garden. As far as we know, it was the twelve. And uh, Luke could have been one of those that was among the other disciples. Maybe he uh, does come along in there, but specifically the twelve are mentioned. Well, actually, eleven are mentioned. And then three of them are taken off into the private area. So these words, those words that Jesus spoke, can be summarized in a prayer of submission. Jesus is submitting to the will of the Father. If you go into battle unsubmitted, you will lose. So Jesus makes sure he takes care of this first. Let's get ourselves submitted. Let's be completely submitted. I already am submitted. But let me get myself renewed on the purpose. Let me get myself renewed on the fact that there is no other way. This is the way. And my submission to the will of God. And he declares that. Not my will, but your will be done. Now the disciples are supposed to be praying so that they wouldn't enter into temptation. But they didn't do that. They could have prayed along the same lines that Jesus had, but they didn't do it. Verse 45, then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now it seems that Jesus heard during his time in prayer that the soldiers were arriving. That would seem to be that he heard this during the third time of prayer. If he heard it during the first time of prayer, soldiers were arriving, he wouldn't have gone back for the second time of prayer. If he heard it during the second time of prayer, I don't think he would have gone back. But he either heard it in the, the third time when he was praying and ended his prayer because he heard that they were coming, or he heard in that time, hey, they're going to be coming, you got about 15, 20 minutes, whatever it would be, oh, I'll just pray here a little bit longer and then I'll get going. But Jesus knows coming out of that time of prayer, they're on their way. They're, they're coming. And he doesn't tell them, you know, it's time to pray now. He says, nope. The hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being, right now, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So as he is over there praying, there is a community that's going on. The angel may have spoken this to him. He may have heard it in the spirit. However it was, it would seem the angel was there. Very likely the angel was probably telling him, uh, all right, you know, I've, I've got our reconnaissance team out there and we're watching this stuff. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing. But uh, Jesus gets word. They're coming. They're coming now. And he's ready, though. He spent this time in prayer and he got himself ready. The disciples did not. He did. So he doesn't go back for a fourth time. He stops here in the third time and he says, let's go. So what we see is that he spent time in prayer to submit himself to the will of God, to renew himself on the purpose for why he's here. He was ministered to by the angel. And if you're going to say, well, I, don't need, I need time to be ministered to by an angel, you didn't face a cross. There are times that an angel came and ministered to people and helped people, but you didn't face what they were facing. They faced something pretty great. You may think what you're facing is great, but it's not as great as what they were facing. And, and thank God for that. <laughs> it's, it's a good thing. But in, uh, let's take a look at another one here. Acts 27, verse 9. We get a little bit more detail on this one. And we've looked at this already in the sword of the spirit part. But we're looking for other things right now. And now, when much time had been spent, talking about the journey that Paul was on to uh, appear before Caesar, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. 
Now, how does he perceive that? Because he stays in a place of communication with the Father. He stays in a place of prayer. He keeps that attitude of prayer going. He knows he's involved in a battle. He's always involved in a battle. Not just this one going into Caesar. He's involved in a battle every time he goes into a new city. Every time he comes back to an old city. He is constantly involved in the battle. He knows to listen. The Spirit of God has told him, leave a city. The Spirit of God has told him that uh, men are out to kill him. The Spirit of God has been warning him all these times. Even when he was going to Jerusalem the last time, he says, every place that I go, the Spirit of God tells me that uh, tough times are ahead. And that's fine. I'm willing to die for him. But this is where I'm going. This This is the purpose that God had given him. So he was going. So he stays open. So when he writes about staying in prayer, he does this. He's in prayer. He's on the boat. And in prayer, he's perceiving. There's no angel that shows up and tells him anything right now. He is perceiving that there's going to be a problem with the voyage. Now, God's concerned about this. God is looking at this because, first off, Paul is his guy. Paul's got his, some of his team there. Luke is one of the ones that seems to be on the boat there with him and probably some other people as well. So he's got some people on the, on the team. But beside that, he's on a mission. Paul, you are going to appear before Caesar. God had told him that. So he's on this mission to go. God wants him to be there. God has planned for him to be there. And we've uh, spent time, we went through Acts before, and showing how there was actually uh, quite an uh, elaborate plan to get Paul on this boat and get this boat out there on the waters when the sailing was dangerous and hoping that Paul would never make it. And he surprised them because he did. But uh, I'm not going to get into all that right now. So nevertheless, the centurion, verse 11, was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. So it wasn't that they were trying to make the journey, finish the journey. They just figured this particular port was not a great one to winter in. If storms came, there could be damage to the ship. Of course, may not end up at the bottom of the harbor as it ended up in the bottom of the sea. Verse 13, When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to the sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempest headwind arose called Euroclidon. Now, the devil seems to be able to put up some deceptive signs and they were looking for a sign, and they found one. And so they followed it. But apparently, very quickly, this uh, nasty wind came up. They tried to get out on that wind. Let's hurry. Let's get out on this now while it's there, and we can maybe make it to Crete before anything gets bad. They were wrong. But not long after, a tempestuous wind head, headwind rose called Euroclidon, and when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. Fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. Now, we mentioned this before. This is a smaller boat than should be on the seas during this kind of a uh, tempest, during this kind of a storm. One of the things that they would do to help out a smaller boat like this is they would take cables and they would run up underneath of the boat. And then they would secure these, ta- <coughs> these cables. So the cables are helping, <coughs> are helping the wood to stay together because of the pounding that it's taking. That is amazing to me that you're <laughs> relying on these cables to kind of help shore, shore up these, uh, this boat. But that's what they did. <coughs> and they would carry the cables around for such a purpose. That would be part of the ship's tackle. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. I would suppose that means not the uh, undergirding that was there because that was already in use. You're not going to take it off to throw it over. It was serving a purpose. Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Now, who is writing the book of Acts? That would be Luke. Luke writes this. Look how he writes this. 
whence neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So who is the we? That would include Luke, Paul, and the rest of them. That would seem to indicate, because he says, all hope. He's not saying, all of us despaired except Paul. He is saying, all hope was lost. It would seem to at least indicate there's a good possibility that Paul thought he was going to die. Luke thought he was going to die. I can't imagine what it would be like to be in a boat that was not made for this kind of weather and to be in it for all these days. And to be beaten, you're not sleeping. Uh, who can sleep on a boat just being tossed around like that and if the boat was in fear of being broken up, that's why they put these cables on it. <clears throat> now the danger is avoidable because notice was given to a man who communicated with God. They could have avoided all this. But again, all hope that we would be saved was given up. Now don't you think that Paul and those that were with him were praying all these days? I mean, would you be? If you were Paul, if you were Luke, if you were the people on Paul's team, can't speak for the rest of the crew members because it didn't seem like they were God-fearing, but these folks were, would you not be praying? Boy, you sure would be. I mean, what else are you going to be doing? It's not really a time for read and study. It's not a time for preparation. It's a time for, we need to get through this. Everything else in life is put to rest because all we need to do is get through the storm. If you've ever been involved in a storm, if you've ever been in the midst of a storm, and that storm comes, you're not looking at any kind of house maintenance. You're not trying to, well, let's vacuum the floors. Let's go into the market and stock up. All you want to try and do is get through the storm. And you'll do a lot of things that you otherwise wouldn't do. You'll be out in weather to fix things on the outside of the house when normally you wouldn't go outside in that kind of weather. But you've got to fix certain things. You've got to deal with certain things. You've got waters coming and whatever it might be. But everything is focused on let's get this taken care of. Now, Paul and those that are with him, they're not sailors. They're not the ones that can combat the things that the ship's going through. So all they have to do is pray. That's it. They got no other job but to pray. I bet you if the other people, are, they know that he's a, he's a spiritual guy. They know that he's a preacher. They know he can't bail water all that well. He can't help secure the, the lines. He can't do things with the sails. He can't do things with the sailing of the boat. What are they going to tell him to do? Well, you, you pray. <laughs> you talk to your God. We need some help. Verse 21, But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you, have, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of, the, of God. I'm sorry, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. Saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, what did Paul pray? Isn't it interesting that the prayer is omitted? I don't, this one puzzles me. Why is the prayer omitted? Because Luke's writing this, if Luke is with Paul and they're praying, where do you think Paul and Luke are? I think they're together. They're next to each other. They're probably praying the same thing. Luke may be saying, Paul, how are you going to pray? He's probably listening to, to Paul. And he's, he's, I can't see them going in different parts of the ship. I, they're, they're kind of staying together, I would, I would imagine. And they're praying. 
So we don't have the prayer written down. But what we do have is the answer. Everybody watch that. What's that game show that they have that they give you the answer and you have to come up with a question? What is it called? Jeopardy, is that the one? All right. So they, you have to phrase things in, in the question, in form of a question. Now we get people. We get me. I know that. <laughs> so we look at the answer and we can formulate some of the things that are said in the prayer. So I'm kind of doing a reverse thing on this. So this would not have been a prayer of submission to God's will, as Jesus was. They already knew it was God's will to be going where they were going. They were already willing to go where God had said to be going. They're on the way. But they also know that they should have waited. And they shouldn't be on the seas right now because they have been warned not to do it. But he does say, for there stood by me this night an angel of of the God to whom I belong. Now, it doesn't say that Luke saw the angel. So, the type of uh, vision that this was, was it a, an angel who showed up? Did Luke just not say? Did he just not include it? Uh, Paul is, he's saying an angel appeared before me. Maybe it did appear before him and Luke. But we don't know. As far as we can tell, Paul is the only one who saw this. Now, we've had that before, where an angel shows up, but no one else sees it but the but the person, it could be something along those lines. Don't know. But Paul, anyway, is he saw it, and he's telling us what they saw. Now, it's not Paul's fault that they're on the water. It's not Paul's fault that they're on the port. Paul spoke out what he knew, but he's not in control of this trip. He is a prisoner. So what kind of prayer did they pray? So we're looking, as we said, we're looking at the answer as an indication of what things were said in prayer. So first off, I put in their casting, that they're casting of fear, cares, or concerns, and they received hope. Because they gave up all hope, right? If you're going to give up all hope, then that means that the things that are coming against you have overwhelmed you to the point that you don't feel that you can overcome them. How else are you going to give up all hope? They had to feel overwhelmed by the storm, by the things that were coming against them, that they didn't feel, I, I know we're supposed to be here, it doesn't look like we're going to make it. This, uh, this boat barely seems like it's holding together. They're hearing the things that the, that the uh, uh, sailors are saying. They're hearing the things that the soldiers are saying. They're hearing the status of the boat. Maybe some of them even talked to them. I have never seen a storm like this. I have never been out in a storm this many days. I have never been out in a storm on this kind of a boat either. This kind of a boat is not made to hold up to this. And they're probably hearing these things. These things are probably being, being thrown out there to them. But he said, first off, you should have listened to me. I told you not to go. I told you not to go. We shouldn't be here. We all wouldn't be in this problem. There wouldn't be any kind of disaster. wouldn't be any kind of loss if you would have listened to me. Now, he's got this for a reason. It's not just an I told you so. It's basically, my words were right before. And my words are going to be right now. I told you before, I had a perception. Now I'm telling you, there was an angel. I mean, you know, there's an angel being present. That trumps perception. Angel shows up, told me this. That beats the perception that he had before. So he's saying, I told you something that I had on a lower level of revelation. This one's on a stronger level of revelation. On the lower level of revelation... I heard correctly, and I told you right. On a higher level of revelation, what do you think the chances are that I also heard correctly and what I'm telling you is right? So he's qualifying what he's about to say. And now I urge you to take heart. I urge you to take heart. Wouldn't that also mean that he has? If Paul hadn't taken heart, how can he tell them? If Paul didn't appear to the people to have lost heart and now is taking heart, would that mean any, mean as much to the people that are there? If they had not seen that he also had despaired and now he was encouraged, we're noticing a change. Paul, I see a change in you. Before you were in despair like us. Now you're not. You've taken heart. And he's telling them, I want you to do the same thing. Now I urge you to take heart. I can't urge someone else to take heart if I haven't taken heart. 
For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. It's not a perception, I'm telling you. No one dies here. The ship's gone, but no one dies. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong. So the first thing we see in this prayer is he cast out all the fear, all the cares, all the concerns, and he received the hope from God. That's what he did in this particular prayer. That's what happened in this, this type of prayer for battle. He cast off all the fear. He cast off all the cares. He cast off all the concerns. He received the hope that God had. That's the first thing. He said in the um, verse 24, Let's go 23 again. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, look at what he says, do not be afraid, Paul. Do not be afraid, Paul. That would mean there had to have been some fear in Paul. And I I don't fault him at all. I can't imagine being in this kind of a storm on a wooden boat that's too tiny for the task that's at hand. There is not a boat that you, you go around in the waters in the winter, apparently. It was, it was meant for other purposes. Do not be afraid, Paul. So that's the first thing that we see is that there's a casting away of fear, cares, concerns, and a receiving of hope. Here's the second one. You must be brought before Caesar. You must be brought before... That's the purpose that God sent him with to begin with. And God is saying right here in the midst of the storm, you must be brought before Caesar. So God is saying, Paul, I need you to go before Caesar. So he's reaffirmed the purpose. This is one of the things we see in in this, is that Paul was probably talking to God about this. do you not want me to go anymore? Is there not a purpose for me going? Has, uh, has this been, been stopped? No, you must be before Caesar. You must be brought before Caesar. So somehow, in the prayer that Paul discusses, he is letting him know about the cares, about his fears, and that he is wondering whether the purpose has changed. Maybe you don't want me to go before Caesar anymore. No, you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, here's the next, next thing, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. He has granted you. Wouldn't that mean that Paul would have had to make a request? If you're going to grant something to someone, if you're going to grant a request, there has to be the request in the begin with. So one of the things that happened in the prayer is he's asking for the lives of his team. He's asking for the lives of Luke and whoever else is on his team. But he said, Not only that, but I would like to have the lives of the people that are on this boat. I would like the lives of the people on the team. I would also like the lives of the people who decided we ought to be out here on the water. And he's making the request. He's asking for all of them. And so the angel says to him, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So all the lives are going to be preserved. Why? Because Paul asked for it. He made that request. So here's the third part. There's a delivering. He prayed for deliverance from the storm. He didn't just step on the boat and take authority over the storm. He prayed and asked for a deliverance from the storm. Because he knew being out here in the storm, we're not supposed to be here. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So he knows now there's an island ahead. And we're going to run aground on that island. How does he know that? There's no helicopters in the air. There's no radar. He knows it because the angel has told this to him. And so here's the fourth area we see. There's a directing. What shall we do? And in spiritual battles, when you go into prayer, you can receive direction as to what you shall do because there's nothing worse than in a battle putting the effort into the wrong area. 
You know, if you're out there in the field of battle as a Roman soldier, you're not out there in the middle balancing your checkbook. Every bit of effort is put into the battle. Everything that you do is about overcoming the army that is in front of you. The task that is at hand. So here's a casting, there's a reaffirming, there's a delivering, and there's a directing. With Jesus, there was a submitting to the will. That's not here with Paul. We don't have anything in the angel's answer that shows us that he is resubmitting to the will of God. He's already submitted. And he's still willing to do it. But there's a casting of the fear. There's a reaffirming of the purpose. God reaffirms them. No, you will go before that you submitted to it. I told you we wanted to do this, and it's still in the plan. We're still doing this thing. There's a deliverance. He asked for a deliverance because we are where we are not supposed to be. You warned us not to be here. And even though we're not supposed to be here, I'm asking for deliverance from this thing. From deliverance from this place that we are not supposed to be here on. And then, what shall we do? And so the angel told him, there's an island. You need to run aground on the island. And that's what you're going to, uh, to go after and to do. Hold to it. Now later on, if you went on and you read this, you'll find out that as they're going, some of the soldiers decide to put the skiff down and, hey, let's, let's hightail it out of here. And Paul says, drop the, the skiff. If any of you leave, none of you survive. Now they're listening to them. They drop the skiff, let it all get destroyed, and they all stay on. All right, we're all in here. <laughs> now they're listening to the guy. Whatever he says, he's running the ship. He's the only one who has direction. But he got that direction in prayer. That was in verse 30. Or we all must stay with the ship. So what would this prayer accomplish? Well, first off, without hope, we won't fight. If I don't have hope, I'm not going to fight. i got to have hope that I can, I can succeed. Armies surrender because they lose hope. They give up the fight because I don't feel like we can get out of this. There has to be something that you have hope for. Without hope, we won't fight. If you're thinking the purpose, purpose changed, I'm not, I have an extra D in there, but thinking the purpose changed or can't be obtained, that weakens us. If the enemy can get me to think that the purpose is changed or that I can't, that I, uh, or can't be obtained, all right, that may be God's purpose, but you can't get there. That's going to weaken us. And so this was addressed in Paul's prayer. We lose if we are taken out by the forces arrayed against us. There are forces that are come against us. You will lose if you're taken out by those forces. You need to be delivered from those forces. Paul realizes if we go down in this storm, we lose. I don't appear before Caesar. So we need deliverance from this storm. And knowing what to put our efforts into takes away the sense of futility. All right, guys, here's what we're doing. There's an island coming up. We're going to stay together until we get close to that island. And then we're going to run aground on that island and we're all going to be okay. Now later on they wanted to try and execute the prisoners but the centurions and he wanted to spare Paul. He didn't care about the rest of them. He wanted to spare Paul. He says, no, this is what we need to do. And so they didn't and they all got in the water and those that could swim, they swam and those who couldn't, they said, well, just wait around. You're going to have some pieces of the boat that break up. Grab hold of one of them and float yourself on in. And so that's what they did, and every single one of them was uh, made it through. That was a spiritual battle that came up to keep Paul from accomplishing what God had purposed, which was to appear before Caesar and to preach the gospel to him. Now, no matter what Paul sees in the storm or hears from the sailors or feels from the urgency, he stays with what he heard. He doesn't let it go. He says in verse 25, Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. Now, just because God told him something doesn't mean that automatically all the faith comes that you need. He still has to stand in faith. He still has to do this thing. 
He's still going to have the wind howling. He still has the waves crashing in the boat. He still has the soldiers saying the things that they're saying. The sailors saying the things that they're saying. The other prisoners saying the things that they're saying. All these people talking doubt and unbelief all around him. He still has all that going on. But he stays with it. I believe that it will be, not yet, I believe that it will be just as it was told me. So he believes now that the things that he heard will surely come to pass. That's what he believes. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So he gave him that direction. Now he's a lot stronger here now. He may have lost hope before, but he doesn't sound like a man who's lost hope. He sounds a lot stronger. And this comes in the strength he received in prayer. He was in prayer. He got that strength. And now he comes out strengthened. Just as Jesus came out strengthened. Jesus was under certain things in the time of prayer. He came out strengthened. And he went into the battle and he won. Paul got a little weakened here as he was on the boat. Lost hope. It seems that he lost hope. But he came out from the time of prayer strengthened. The angel came and visited him. Strengthened him some more. He doesn't keep asking for what hasn't materialized yet. Instead, he stands. Doesn't stand there and say, well, God, I sure thought the, the deliverance from the storm, these waves would be getting a little weaker. That wind would be dying down a little bit. He doesn't do it all that. He stays on the stand that he has. Doesn't keep asking, well, let's get these waves going. Now, I'm not sure if I left this on your outline or not. But what other parts of the armor do you see in use here? Because there's not just two parts. We looked at the sword before. And here we're seeing prayer that's involved. But I'm going to give you a couple of uh, things as I see them. First off, the breastplate is in, pl in place. Because he could be thinking, pa Paul knows the word of God. And he may be thinking about another person who is a minister of God, who was caught in the storm. Devil may be bringing that up to him. Don't you remember? Jonah was caught in the storm and he was the very reason that the storm came upon him. And he told him, throw me in the water. <laughs> throw me in the water. And the storm will be fine. The devil may be telling him, tell him to throw you in the water. <laughs> it's just like it was with Jonah. Tell him to throw you in the water and the storm will stop. He could have been, been hit with this. But no, he knows. No, Jonah messed up. He was running from God. I have not messed up. My breastplate of righteousness is intact. And so he knew not to give in to that. There's the shoes. Paul is prepared to make him pro a proclamation of the gospel to Caesar and everyone else along the way. He is prepared to make a proclamation of the gospel to the people on the boat. When they get on the island, he is prepared to make a proclamation to the people on the island. Great revival started on that island. In fact, there was such a great revival that they equipped him, gave him all kinds of stuff, gave him clothes, gave him money. He may, everybody else may have lost all their stuff. Paul came out there richer. And when he shows up, he's able to pay for his own, own place. He's got nice clothes. This was, that was quite a, uh, quite a stop off. But he's got the shoes of preparation on because he is prepared. He has made the preparation. Wherever he goes, he's taking the gospel. That's why the devil would have preferred he'd be at the bottom of the ocean. But he didn't get there. Surely the shield was involved because they had doubts to deal with. They had thoughts that came their way. Fiery darts that came. And the shield needed to put them out. He also had the helmet on. Because he says he makes this statement. In, uh, let, me, let me get that for you. Verse 23. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. That's the helmet of salvation. I am a part of the army of God. This is the team I am on. And he declares it loud and proud, so to speak. And of course, the sword is involved because the words the angel spoke to him were there. 
the words the angel had spoken to him for something that he used. So we wrap it up here this way. Praying in battle does not always involve short prayers. We talk about short prayers a lot. That there's a need for short prayers and sometimes we pray for things and we go on so long that the doubt and unbelief work their way in. And it's not hard. When you are asking for something that if you spend too long praying you're going to get into the area of doubt and unbelief. You're going to get out of the area of prayer. But here, praying in battle does not always involve short prayers. Jesus' prayers weren't short. He prayed for at least a couple hours. Apparently on the same thing. Paul here, he's praying. It seems like it's days that he's praying. This is not a short short time of prayer. They're, they're spending all that time in prayer. They didn't just go in there and like some Christians want to do, in the name of Jesus, I command that we are delivered from this storm. Now let's just go on off and let's just walk in there. They didn't do that. They stayed with it. They stayed there. Sometimes I, I think we've lost this, this aspect of prayer in battle in that we're, we're too quick to get out. We're too quick to leave. We have to sometimes stay in the battle a little bit longer. And um, I was, even recently, I had uh, begun to wonder, maybe I've taught you all a little wrong on this. Because we were involved in some battles. I didn't hear this myself, but I heard this uh, later on. Vanessa had shared it with some of the ladies in the, in the church. She didn't share it with me all the time. We were sitting there, but didn't share it with me. But she had made a comment uh, to a number of people that um, she didn't go home and pray at night, all night for the, for the thing. She didn't sit there in the hospital room and pray. Now, I did. <laughs> I know when we were sitting there, we had pray, we'd prayed sometimes, and I'd wake up every morning, early in the morning, and I was praying over that situation and praying over the situation with Etta and spent uh, a good bit of time on that. And then I'd go out and I'd, uh, uh, I'd run for an hour or two, and I'd turned off anything I was listening to. And I'd just be praying in the Spirit. And I'd just be praying to hear from God on, the, on these particular things. And um, uh, as we go through this, this part, I'll be able to share with you some of the things that had gone on. I'm not prepared to do that here uh, right now. But uh, what I was looking for, and what I sometimes will, will do in these, is you look for that time when you're making that connection. Brother Hagin would teach us. He taught us this in the, in the thing. That's why I was wondering. Maybe I hadn't taught right, because I'm, I'm thinking if you, if you could be in the hospital room facing this kind of thing and not spend some time in prayer, when I, I, I couldn't could understand that. Brother Hagin would tell the stories uh, when his member was in prayer, uh, in, uh, in hospital and dying, that he, he just prayed and prayed all through the night, walking up and down. I need him. <laughs> you need him. If, he, if I need him, you need him. Just go and remember that prayer that he would be praying all the time. And uh, he fell asleep one time in the chair and uh, the nurse came in and... Uh, he woke up. Oh, is he dead? I thought he was, but he's not. He said, dear God, I've gone to sleep and let him die. <laughs> he got up and he started walking around again. And he would tell us about these times. He would tell us about times when he would be woken up in the middle of the night and uh, just be praying, 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 praying in the spirit until all of a sudden they got it. They, got, they didn't know exactly what they got, but they, they connected. They knew that they got it. All right, we got And so when the situation the next day, somebody called and they said, hey, such and such, I think this is, that was the one where there was a fire. People were trapped underneath uh, down in the mine. And, uh, oh, don't worry about that. We already prayed. That's what we were praying about. He didn't know at the time. That's what we were praying about. I already got the answer. But see, he didn't just get the answer and just uh, claim it. He spent some time connecting with the Spirit. When he made that connection, ah, now we got it. And then he let it go. But you got to get to that spot. Sometimes you, gotta, it, sometimes you get there in a half hour, an hour. Sometimes it may take a couple hours. Jesus Apparently, two, three hours, I would say, he's in prayer in the garden. He makes that connection. He comes out strengthened. Paul, it's a couple of days, maybe many days, that he's uh, making that. But he made that connection. He got that connection. When he made that connection, the angel came down and shared this with him. All right, we got it. I know we got the I don't need to pray about it anymore. I don't need to be going out there and be praying. All. I got what it was. And he said, I believe it will be as it was told me. I love those words of Paul. I believe that it will be. Not, not yet, but I believe it will be as the Spirit of God told me, as the angel of God told me. This is what he believed. 
we had to sometimes spend some time praying to hear the things that are going on and make that connection. You've got to make that connection, especially when you're praying with other people, for other people, other situations. You've got to especially make time for that. But even sometimes in your own, pray. Jesus prayed for his own situation. Paul prayed for his own situation and the people that were around him. He prayed for, for multiple things that way. So we have to make sure that we, we do this, we make that connection. And that in the area of warfare, in the area of prayer and warfare, it doesn't follow some of the other rules that will go on. It's not a quick thing. It's not a thing, well, I'm just going to make this declaration. I just believe that this is the way it ought to be. There's times that we need to spend time and make the connection. And make the connect. That's what we have to do. So we'll, as we get into this, we'll have more things to share with you on that. But let me just leave you with this because we are getting close to our time here. There may be the need to, in warfare, strengthen yourself. Prayer, when you are involved in a battle, there may be the need to strengthen yourself. And this is one of the things that you need to do in prayer. You need to pray in such a way as to strengthen yourself. That's, if, that's what you are looking for. <clears throat> I am looking for strength for myself. It's not wrong for you to go into prayer. I need strength on this matter. Because Jesus needed strength on the matter that he was going to be facing. We saw how it was described, how other people described Jesus going into the battle, before the battle. He got that strength. When he came out, he was strong. When he came out, he says, whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And they all fall over. That's not a person that is weak. That's a person that is strong. And uh, they all got back up again. And Jesus went with them. Apparently, he could have knocked them down. He could have called angels down, but he didn't do all that because now he's strong. He strengthened himself. And so that's one of the first things that prayer will do as we're getting involved in battle is it will strengthen ourselves. Second, determine God's plan. You need to determine God's plan. What is the plan of God? Jesus went into prayer. I need to determine God's plan. I got this other plan, and then I got God's plan. Which one do we have to go with? And All right, we got to go with God's plan. All right, can't go with this other plan. Paul is saying, I know I had God's plan, but I'm not sure if we're going to make God's plan. And so he had to determine what God's plan was. And so the angel came down and said, you will stand before Caesar. All right, we've determined God's plan. Here's the next thing. Understand what to ask for. You got to understand what to ask for. Now, here, just look at these two situations. Jesus understood what to ask for. He didn't ask for deliverance. He could have, but he did not ask for deliverance because he understood what to ask for. Here's the will of God. I am to go to the cross. If I ask for deliverance, I'm not going to the cross. So I don't ask for deliverance. Paul is in a different situation. He's on a boat. I'm supposed to get over here to Caesar. In order for me to get there, I need to be delivered from this storm. I'm also asking for the deliverance of the other people in this boat. That we all get delivered. So he, is, he knows what to ask for. He understands what to ask for. We have to understand what to ask for. There's a lot of times people are just going in there and just asking for anything they want to. I'm not understanding. I'm not taking the time in prayer to find out what do I ask for. And we may be asking for deliverance from something we're not supposed to be delivered from. Or we may not be asking for deliverance because we think, well, if God wants me delivered, he'll just do it. No. We need to have this understanding. So that's the third thing. Understand what to ask for. The, the fourth, to hear a rhema word. Paul heard a rhema word. Jesus heard a rhema word. The angel came and spoke to him. Whatever it was he said, it helped him. He spoke some things to him. He heard a rainbow word. The angel spoke to Paul and gave him a rainbow word. There's other situations we can look at too. We're just looking at these two. But they heard a rainbow word. In prayer, before a battle or in a battle, you can look forward to hearing a rainbow word. God's speaking a word to you about the battle that you're in. Here's the last thing. See the direction to go. Jesus came out of prayer. He knew the direction to go. Guys, the soldiers are coming. They're going to take me. Paul says, we're not going down, guys. We're going forward. 
There's going to be an island. We're going to run aground. This is what's going to happen. They had a direction. In this time of prayer, you will have a direction. You won't flounder. You may have been floundering before, but you get in that time of prayer, these are the things that will come out. So when you're looking at prayer from the area of warfare, you're looking at things that will strengthen yourself, determine God's plan, understand what to ask for, hear a rhema word, and see the direction to go. These are things that can come from that time of prayer. It's a different kind of time of prayer than others. This may take you some time. This may take multiple days of getting before God and being uh, praying in the Spirit, or whatever it might be that you're, that you're praying. But you need to have that time. You need to dedicate yourself to it. If you're not willing to dedicate yourself to it, more than likely you're not going to get through it. Paul dedicated himself to this, this prayer time. When he came out of it, he's ready for the battle. Jesus dedicated himself to the prayer time. When he came out of it, he's ready for the battle. We're going to look at some other examples on this too as, uh, in next week. Father, I thank you. No matter what battle we face in life, that you have given us the spiritual armor to get us through it. I thank you for this time of prayer. When we go into prayer and in battle, these are the things that we need to look for. We're not just looking to make declarations of faith. We're looking to hear from God. We're looking to receive strength, to understand, determine the plan that God has, to understand what it is that we are to ask for, to hear the words that you would speak to us, that we would have a rhema word, and then to see the direction that we are to go. I thank you that you equip us, that you help us, that when we go into the battle, we go in ready. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.